last year was uh, such an encouragement, such a good day that some of you even said, we should do something like this more often. You know, somebody even said, we should do this once a month. And that sounds great uh, if you'd like to be in charge and, and organize over. That'd be wonderful. I'm going to circle back around to that concept, uh, actually in just a few minutes though, about why this is only, only if you want to think of it that way, an annual thing that we are doing, only once per year. But it is a day where we have been encouraged last year by being others-oriented, by truly having hearts of servants, by giving up a Sunday afternoon in late summer. And by the way, last year it was kind of hot, but then it rained later in the day. This year it's only like 85 degrees. And this is amazing. I mean, it just, it's, it's August. It should be like 112, you know, heat index of like 8 million. I mean, I know, I know the relative humidity is like 214% outside, but it's still pretty amazing that, you know, it's only going to be in the 80s this afternoon as we're working all over the place. But you give up an afternoon, you think about other people, you serve other people, you work side by side. It is so encouraging. Just a couple of reminders before we really get into the, the heart of the lesson. Just some questions have been asked the last few days and to make sure people know uh, what's going on. Uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon, all the projects will begin. You need to go to the place where those are. You don't have to come here for any kind of meeting or anything. Just go directly to those locations. And uh, this building is going to be buzzing at 2 o'clock this afternoon because we also have the, the 50th uh, wedding anniversary celebration in the fellowship hall. So if you sign up to do one of the projects that's here at the building, uh, the sewing project is going to take place uh, in the front part of the old auditorium. Uh, if you sign up to send cards, that's going to happen in the library. And if you signed up to help uh, with uh, cleaning up trash in this area of the community, uh, Tyler's heading that project up. And he said just to meet at his office and he would hand out trash bags there at 2 o'clock. But wherever you're serving, uh, be, just go to that place at 2 o'clock. And again, if you haven't signed up, there's still plenty of spots available. We'd love to have you sign up for any of them or just show up to any of them. Uh, tonight, weather permitting, Cross your fingers, weather permitting. We will have our service at the outdoor classroom, followed by a cookout. If you have trouble walking up to that uh, pavilion at the outdoor classroom, we have secured uh, a gator or a go-kart to help with the transportation. Uh, but if you could be there about 10 minutes early, that way we'll probably make more than one trip up and, up and back. That would be helpful. Uh, if you can be there about 5, be here, excuse me, about 5.15 to help move some chairs over there. That would be helpful. And if you can help just slice some vegetables uh, for that cookout tonight, uh, when we're dismissed this morning, if you go over to the fellowship hall, uh, we've got just a handful of things that need to be sliced for tonight. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And it's going to be an absolutely wonderful day. And I know that all of you remember every word of every sermon I ever preach. I know that's the way it is. I know you just quote them for the rest of your lives. But if you do remember, you may think, you know, last year on We Are the Sermon Day, it seems to me that we study Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And you would be right. And you may then think, well, Adam's just, he's getting off easy. He went back there sometime this week and just printed off last year's sermon and is going to re-preach the sermon. Not at all. We are going to look again this morning at Matthew 5, 13 through 16, that passage we read a few moments ago. But we're going to emphasize it a little bit differently this morning. And in fact, we're really going to think about just one word that's found in the you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world portion. And then we're going to make application really on just one other word that's found in this very famous teaching from the lips of Jesus to help motivate us for this particular day. Because you know as well as I do, as Jesus is preaching this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, that he's dealing with our influence. 
What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And one of those things is the fact that we are influential. And that's the first thing we notice as we consider this context. That is, influence is assumed. It's just a very real thing. Have you ever noticed what Jesus did not say as he began this section of the Sermon on the Mount? He did not say, you could be the salt of the earth. It's not what he said. He didn't say, you should be the salt of the earth. And he also didn't say what you and I might have thought he would have said. If we, were, if we were kind of trying to think ahead of him, we might try to think, he's about to give a command and say, you must be the salt of the earth. That's not what he said. Instead, in both of these very famous passages, he began with the words, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. In wording it that way, using the word are, A-R-E, Jesus was making it very clear that our influence is a very real thing. It is assumed. And the only question that becomes, what kind of influence will we be? You know, we live in a time where people want to think that only those who are in places of great importance, maybe they're famous, maybe they hold political office, maybe they're the, the boss of the company, those are the people who have influence. But how often do you who are parents or grandparents or who work with young people anyway, how often do you try to teach our young people, especially our teenagers, that somebody is watching you? And you don't mean that in a negative way. You mean that usually those who are younger than those teenagers, those, those young adults, they're looking up to them and they're seeing how to live life by the way that they live their lives. But sometimes we only teach that to teenagers and we forget that's true of all of us. That no matter how common my life may be, no matter how regular of a life I may lead, someone, and in fact for all of us, really more than one person, several people are watching. They're seeing how it is to live as what I claim to be, and that is a Christian, one who wears the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to consider, though, for a moment, that when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world, He was not just saying that every person who's alive has positive influence. Remember that this section of Scripture we're studying this morning is part of one sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And so when we study passages from this sermon, we must consider everything that Jesus was teaching, especially what precedes what He's now saying. Of course, this is very early on in the Sermon on the Mount. So what did Jesus just finish? Well, He had just finished that section that we usually call the Beatitudes, those blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the meek, and blessed are those who mourn, all those things. But have you ever noticed that the first eight of those nine Beatitudes are somewhat generic or general in their wording? Blessed are the so-and-so, or blessed are those who so, such and such. But the ninth Beatitude, have you ever noticed that it changes? The very last one, found in Matthew 5, beginning of verse 11, Jesus did not say, blessed are those. He said, blessed are you. Blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he turned and said, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. What's, what's my point? Jesus was not saying that every person who ever lives has positive influence. What he was saying was, beatitude number nine, the ninth beatitude, if you are like those prophets of old who endure for 
the kingdom, who endure for the work of God, then you are the salt of the earth. Then you are the light of the world, just as those prophets were, who we know as being in the Old Testament. But the fact of the matter is, everyone holds some kind of influence. The question becomes, when I understand that I have influence, how am I stewarding that? How am I managing that for God? You know, sometimes we think of that concept of stewardship and we only think of finances. Or sometimes we, we expand it a little more and we think of our stewardship or our managing of things like our time and our talents and our money. But in reality, we are to steward everything that God gives us to His glory. And that includes our influence. When I understand that other people look to me, not in some arrogant way, but simply because I'm alive and you're around the people and people look to other people, I need to realize there is a great responsibility in that to steward that influence, to manage that influence to the glory of God. And Jesus is saying those prophets of old understood that. They were persecuted, they were spoken against falsely, but yet they continued faithfully. And you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world if... You steward your influence in just the same way. Our influence is assumed. But also by using that little word are, you are, Jesus was also making it clear that our influence is ongoing. Jesus did, never, did not want to even hint at the fact that influence is something that can just be turned on and turned off. Instead, influence is something that is always ongoing. I think that's most clearly seen in that passage about the salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor or savor or tastefulness, you've got 9,000 different translations, it seems, but if the salt has lost what it's supposed to be doing, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Most of the time in our society, we think of salt as just something that flavors our food. We just like to add it, make it taste a little different, a little better. But salt has so many other qualities that especially historically it's been used for. Probably the most well-known other quality of salt is the quality of preservation. You pack things in salt. You pack meat in salt especially, and it helps preserve that meat. And you think of the culture in which Jesus would have been teaching, they would have thought probably of things like fishing. When you caught those fish, you packed those fish in salt and that helped to preserve that meat for a lot longer than you just, if you just left that fish out in the open and let the air get to it and just destroy it very, very quickly. And what Jesus is trying to get them to see is, if that salt stops doing what salt's supposed to do, then you might as well just leave the meat out in the open. It's not going to make any difference. And so why would you even keep the stuff around? Now, if our influence is assumed, then what's the point of saying that it's ongoing? It's to help us realize that we need to always be encouraging others, lifting others toward the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not a one-time thing. It is the weight of responsibility of realizing that this is an ongoing process of influence. That can be kind of overwhelming if you stop and think about it. Do I always have to be managing that influence to the glory of God? Yeah. Let me give you a few things to help encourage you, though, to do that. First of all, we need to pray for strength. When I realize that I'm supposed to be influencing for God all the time, that weight can become overwhelming. I can say, I'm not sure I want to do that. But we can pray for the strength and the wisdom to do just that. 
to continually press forward in influencing others for God. But also, as we pray, we should pray for opportunities. If I'm going to be influencing others for Christ and for God, then I should look for opportunities to use my talents and my gifts to do just that. You know, our young people just started back to school, and I know they're really thrilled because tomorrow is the first Monday of school, and that's usually the best day of the year. The first Monday of the school year, right? It's always so exciting. And I know they're thrilled, but it's this time of year that we always like to tell our young people, I know Tyler does, I know you parents do, we always like to tell them that no matter what you do in school, whether you're academic or whether you're athletic or whether you're music or whatever it happens to be, whether you just consider yourself just a, a regular student, whatever you do, make sure you're using that opportunity to encourage someone for Christ. But that's not just a lesson for young people. It's for all of us. When, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're in our neighborhoods, when we're coaching those ball teams, or when we're, when we're visiting our family, do we use those and pray for opportunities to use our times and our, and our talents to influence others to the glory of God? That should be in our prayers constantly. That no matter how God has gifted us or given us talents, that we use that to His glory. But I also suggest to you that if we do, we also make sure that we stay aware. Here's what I mean by that. I guarantee you, If you pray for open doors of opportunity, God will open them. The question becomes, will you keep your eyes open enough to walk through that door and to influence someone else for Christ? So I think it's easy for us sometimes to just pray, God, help me, you know, as the song says, lead me to some soul today, and then he does, and we walk the other way. Instead, if we're praying for strength, and we're praying for opportunities, I will guarantee you doors are open. They may just barely creak open at times, but there'll be open doors of opportunity. So we need to be aware of those times, and then also we need to make sure we're humble. When that door of opportunity opens, and when you have a chance to encourage someone, to teach someone, whatever the situation is, don't take the glory for yourself. Isn't that the whole point of what Jesus is saying in the passage we're studying? Don't take the glory of yourself to give the glory to God. They'll see your good works, yes, verse 16, but give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Be humble. And then number five, also, keep going. Keep stewarding. I don't know how many times I've talked to people before, and it's encouraging in some ways, but it's also discouraging in some ways, where they they build up this great story about someone they, they helped become a Christian or some family they helped in some great way, and you're really encouraged, and they say, and that was in 1969. Well, that's great. But what have you done for Christ since then? You see, sometimes we actually win a victory for Christ. We actually lead someone to the Lord, or we actually encourage someone, and then we just rest on our laurels because, well, we can check that off the list. We've helped someone get to heaven. No, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's an ongoing process. And if you notice, by ordering these things this way, really... When you finish with number five, you start right back with number one again. You pray for strength again. You pray for opportunities again. You're aware again. You're humble again. You keep going again. And you pray for strength again. I won't keep going, I promise. But you get the point. That it's an ongoing process to make certain that we are using our influence to the glory of God. So we understand if we are the salt of the earth, if we are the light of the world, if that influence is real, if it is assumed, if it's ongoing, then we see Jesus' famous words, verse 16, In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And this is why we are the sermon day is more than just a day. 
Last year, I think it was in the spring, we put forward the idea of we have a sermon day to our elders. They heartily agreed. We decided upon a date sometime in August, and lots of prayer, lots of planning went into that, uh, that day, selecting areas to serve our community, and so on and so forth. The number of people who helped was over 100 people. It was overwhelming. The spirit of the day was absolutely remarkable. People were saying constantly and regularly, we, we should do this so often. We should do this more than annually. We should do it twice a year, quarterly, monthly, whatever. But here's the thing. It was decided to only be a once a year thing because the point of We Are the Sermon Day is not to have a big event. It's not just to build up to some day and then when the day is over, go, check, we've served. It's to make certain we all see, well, the title of our lesson. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You see, this day is not about some event. It's not about just some big program. In fact, we, we actually pray it never becomes a quote-unquote program. It's about motivation. It's about being reminded that this is the way we should live each and every day. Now, we might do some more organization on a day like this to have bigger groups doing certain things, and that's certainly wonderful. But a day like this is really built into our calendar simply to push us forward to continue in acts of service toward other people, to think of other people, to shine our lights constantly throughout our lives. You know, our young people sing that song that has terrible grammar because gonna is not a word, but we get the point. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Jesus had just said, you don't take the light and put it under a basket. Don't you love watching little children sing that verse of that song? Because they get to yell in church, right? Hide under a bushel, and don't do it now because I, I might lose my job. But you know what they do, right? No. I mean, they love that. But th- then they follow that up with, I'm going to let it shine. When they sing those words and have a lot of fun with it, they are saying, singing one of the most beautiful truths that Jesus ever taught. Nothing is going to put out our light. I'm going to let it shine. Now I want to show you something from this text you know very well that may seem a little bit tedious, but it's going to help us understand why we keep doing this. At the end of verse 15 in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said that the light that's on a stand gives light to all who are in the house. The word light there, as you see on the screens, is the Greek word lampo. Guess what word we get from that one? (laughs) This is where we get our word lamp from, right? The word literally means to shine. So Jesus said that the light shines. It gives shining to all who are in the house. And he goes, so what? I don't get the point. Well, at the beginning of verse 16 then, Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine. Guess what the word is? Let your light lampo. Jesus ended verse 16, 15 excuse me, by saying, let your light shine. You don't put it on, on a lampstand. It shines. It illuminates. Just like that light shines in the same way your light should shine. Same word. And you're still going, yeah, I could figure that out. That's, I don't know why you studied all that long to figure that one out. Here's what's interesting. That little word, lampo, is only found six times in the New Testament. 
And it's where else it's found that makes this fascinating. If you're still in the book of Matthew, turn over probably about 10 pages to Matthew chapter 17. Because in Matthew chapter 17, the beginning of that chapter, you have the account of Jesus being transfigured. And this is one of the other times where that little word, lampo, is found. The chapter begins, Matthew 17, beginning of verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him, and his face, lampo, shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. The word shone, as you see on the screens, I've replaced it for you. The word shone in verse 2 is our word. Now, what's my point? Why are we going into all this tedium of one little word? It's because you put what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 together with what happened to him, or through him really, in Matthew chapter 17, you really see the point of our lesson this morning. Because the light of God transfigured Jesus. And what Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 5 is, the light of God will transform you and I. Blessed are you when men revile you, persecute you. How can you possibly do that kind of thing? The light of God transforms because we're not thinking about ourselves any longer. We're thinking about Him and we're thinking about others. Yes, they see our good works, but they glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's one reason we only do this one big day each year. It's because we want it to transform our hearts. We don't do this just to serve the community, although that's certainly our emphasis as far as what we are actually involved in. We don't do this so, so just the name of our church can be known more, although that's a great benefit, an added benefit of a day. We don't do this just to spend time together, although that's a wonderful benefit of a day like this. We do this to instill in our hearts the desire to continually let our light shine so that we can be transformed into the image of God. And Why do we do that? One more passage, and you'll have to leave Matthew to find it. Go to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want us to think about why. Why should we let our light shine? Why should, as our children sing, we not let Satan it out? Why should we let it shine? You know, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because God first loved us. But I think we also do other things because God did those things first. We are returning those things to Him. And one of those is that shining of light. In 2 Corinthians, for time's sake, in chapter 4, we won't read the whole context. I was going to read verses 1 through 6. You can read that on your own time. But just jump down with me, if you will, to verse 6 itself. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 we want to focus on. Let the light shine out of darkness. That's what God said. But God also gave a way for that to happen if you look at verse 6. God has shown in our hearts. Guess what the word shown is in that verse? It's our word lampo. God has already shown His light. But did you notice? When God shone His light, what did He do? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The phrase to give the light, I know, you know the Greek words get confusing, this is one you can figure out, is photismos. Guess what word we get from that? Photo. Photograph. It is as if God put an illuminated photograph upon our heart. And what was that photograph? 
the image of the face of Jesus Christ. Tie it back to Matthew 17. What did Christ do on the Mount of Transfiguration? The light of God shone through Him. And tie it all the way back to Matthew chapter 5. If God has placed that photograph of the image of Jesus Christ in our hearts, and if that image shines the light back on God Himself, then what are we to do? Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It may be one of the simplest little songs our children sing, but it is one of the richest when it comes to true biblical knowledge. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But there's a verse of that song that we rarely sing. I admit, I rarely lead it with our, our children, pew packers, or elsewhere. But as I was studying for this lesson, I, I, I told myself, I'm going to do better about leading a verse that we rarely sing. Because it ties all of this together of the fact that our influence is assumed and our, our influence is ongoing. And it's the words, let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Today is going to be a wonderful day. I'm excited. We have prayed and planned for a long, long time. A lot of, a lot of you have signed up to, to help in various areas. and I've heard so many of you comment to, to me and online and elsewhere. We're excited. And I hope you're excited. I hope others, maybe, I don't know about today. This is not today to be on the lazy boy. Let's put it that way. There's things to do. There's all kinds of things to be done. And we're excited about it. But here's the thing. It's not just today. This is the Christian life. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm not going to put it under a bushel. I'm not going to let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. And why? Because God has already shown the light in the image of Jesus Christ, that when we become a Christian, He places that image on our very heart. This morning, if you need to have that image placed on your heart by becoming obedient to His will in the waters of baptism, or if you as a Christian have let your light go out, you've let Satan it out, you've placed it under a bushel, God can relight that spark. He can relight that lamp, and you can let it shine. Whatever your need is this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage.